This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelmom. And today we have a classic episode for you about mushrooms. Yes. And look, we've been in, we've talked a lot about mushrooms on this show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so this this initial uh, generalized mushroom episode mm-hmm. aired in, oh, what's that date? February of 2018. I don't even know when that was anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and since then, we've done episodes on chanterelles, truffles, and morels. Um, and honestly, like, yeah, like we could keep going. We we yes. shall keep going. We must. <laughs> we must. Because as I was telling Lauren when when you suggested this, there's been a lot of mushroom news lately. Yeah. And I will tell you... Um, I love mushrooms, both as a food, but as a subject of interest. Uh, but they kind of freak me out. Um, <laughs> only because of The Last of Us or like in general? only, <laughs> but that's a big piece of it, which January 15th, not a sponsor, but I will be watching. Oh, yeah. The show comes out. Um, there has been a, a, a huge wave of mushroom-based horror, as I told you recently. Mm-hmm. I have a whole list I could send. Um and uh, I did see, I think after we did the Truffles episode, I watched the movie Pig with Nicolas Cage. Oh, uh-huh. Um, which isn't horror, but it kind of is touching on it. <laughs> and then this weekend, I went to go see The Menu, and I texted you about it, which is 
more horror. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think both of those are considered um, uh, uh, thrillers or perhaps suspense. But y- mm. yes, from I have not seen either. Uh, but from oh. what I understand, the menu is straight up horror. Yeah. So. Oh, it's funny though. I was watching it like, <laughs> oof, that stings. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. I have I have some friends uh, who all work in the same kitchen together who um who went to see that after one of their recent and kind of grueling uh prep for Thanksgiving. Oh no. Oh uh, no. Uh-huh. Uh, work days and uh <laughs> apparently the theater was not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a trip. It's a trip. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was kind of going over my nerdy, like, here are some recent mushroom facts. Because mushrooms do get, they are involved a lot in this kind of, you know, the scene that the menu is making fun of, perhaps. Uh, but they're also just cool. And a yeah. lot of stuff is going on. And there's been a lot of big mushroom-based stories lately, which I know sounds ridiculous. No, but but like but like scientific research stories. Yeah. Yes. So there was a big one I'm really interested in where um, scientists built biodegradable computer chips using mushrooms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one, uh, somebody used a synth board, I believe, uh, hooked up to mushrooms to make this music. And it's pretty haunting sounding. (laughs) Um, But that was part of a larger study that we were talking about. And we want to come back and do a whole savor side dish, amuse bouche or whatever about all yeah. these mushroom stories that yeah. are like non-food related mushroom stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because right, I would I would go on for a solid 20 minutes about that. It's I mean, we're only ostensibly a food show. So Yeah. And I think oh. the side dish side dishes can encompass all kinds of things. Sure. You know? They don't have to That's- be edible. That's what the menu taught me. Um, <laughs> but but there, there was a really recent slash kind of terrifying study about how uh, mushrooms communicate um, oh. and how they uh, it's like a music almost. It was really cool. It was no joke. Really, really cool. Um, so we're going to do that. Uh, yeah. But this is kind of a this is like a. Amuse bouche for the amuse bouche. It's a teaser <laughs> with a throwback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, I do have one quick correction. Um, when we first start into the history section, we're we're talking about fungus more generally having been a uh, a a type of thing that was used from like the dawn of Heckin civilization uh, in mm-hmm. order to produce things like wine and beer um, and 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 bread and those were not literal mushroom wines or meads or breads they weren't made from mushrooms but rather fungal spores I mean I mean cells uh, not spores uh, microbes um, helped in the making of those products yeah. Funkel spores, Lauren. <laughs> this is what freaks me out. Um, <laughs> but it's also cool. So, uh, yes. That's, yes, that's fermentation. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> why don't we let past Annie and Lauren take it away? Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese and I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And uh, okay, we've got a we've got a pop quiz at the top of the episode here. Yeah. Yeah. What is the largest organism on Earth? 
<laughs> Actually, you probably knew the answer right away <laughs> based on what we're talking about. Uh-huh. It is a humongous honey fungus. Actually, I, I would not have guessed that just from mushrooms being the title of the episode. That's true. I knew it was a mushroom, but I didn't know it was a honey fungus specifically. That's a different thing. Totally. I Well, it's located in Oregon. It's about 2.4 miles long. What? 3.5 kilometers. And uh, that is one random fact of the episode that you probably already knew. And one other trivia note. A fungus aged 440 million years is currently known as the oldest organism to live on dry land. Huh. Yeah. A scientist said in the Daily Mail article I read about it, it fills an important gap in the evolution of life on land and that it may have kick-started life on Earth. What? Yeah. As this is a food show, we're going to be talking about edible mushrooms today. Yes. Right. Uh, if you if you want to hear more about the uh, psychedelic varieties, I believe that both uh, Stuff You Should Know and also Stuff to Blow Your Mind have episodes about those. I do not doubt it. <laughs> so, okay. Mushrooms. What is it? I love this quote about them from Edible Mushrooms and Their Creation. Without leaves, without buds, without flowers, yet they form fruit as a food, as a tonic, as a medicine. The entire creation is precious. Oh, that sounds very lovely. Yeah, and or like a Tolkien, uh, like Gollum <laughs> riddle. Right. Uh, okay, but yeah, so yes, mushrooms are a type of fungus, neither animal nor plant. They breathe oxygen and release carbon dioxide like we do. Uh, they can grow above or in the ground with or without sunlight. They can't photosynthesize. They uh, eat by excreting digestive enzymes and then absorbing nutrients from the compounds that those enzymes break down. But they don't have vascular systems. They, they grow similar to the way that plants do, with new cells propagating out from developed cells, uh, each with its own cell wall. But those cell walls contain chitin, like animal cell walls do. Huh? Basically like WTF nature. Mushrooms, what's going on? Right. More specifically, mushrooms are the edible fruit of a larger fungus structure. Uh, mushrooms produce spores that, uh, sort, sort of like seeds, can spread on air or water or moving creatures and grow into a new fungus. Uh, they produce the spores in those kind of gill-looking structures on the underside of the cap. Mm -hmm. When a spore lands in a suitably moist and nutritious area, you know, nice rotting bit of tree or a heap of manure. Ooh. <laughs> I know, delicious, right? right? Um, it'll germinate and begin radiating new cells outward from its central point. New cells only grow on the tips of the older ones, so left to its own devices, the fungus will usually grow out from the center into this, like, flat circle of branched threads, which over time can kind of cluster up into ropes. Th think of, like, a like a drink coaster made from from lace or, or crocheted doily. Okay. If, if your grandmother had those, that's kind of sort of what this this root system of, of, a, of a mushroom oh. looks like. Um, <laughs> like your grandmother's doily. On a slightly larger scale, generally. Um, that, that sort of root system is called a mycelium, and it'll spread out underground or, you know, through whatever growth medium it's working with. And when it's developed enough and the conditions are right, when the stars are right, uh, it'll shoot out fruit, mushrooms, to create spores and begin the life cycle again. By the way, 
Uh, the growth pattern of fungi cells you know, from the tips radiating outward, like I described, is why mushroom fairy circles form. Oh! The mushrooms pop up along the outer edges of the underground circular mycelium. And grass tends to be greener on the inside of these circles than on the outside because the, the mycelium is breaking down compounds in the soil, giving the grass that grows above it more available nutrients. I was so into fairy circles when I was a kid. Right? Aren't they great? They're so cute. Yeah. I had a fairy house. Oh, I had yeah. this like little bell to try to attract them. Did you see that movie? that They proved the photograph was fake. No. But, okay. <laughs> anyway, point being, this was a lovely unexpected throwback. So if we look at the types of mushrooms that you're likely to find in stores, the button mushroom is the most cultivated, but there are so many types. More than I realized, technically. Oh, man, me too. You've got truffles. was probably one of the first ones you foodies thought of. I don't know. <laughs> um, which Brilliat Severin, we've mentioned him before, he named them the diamond in the art of cookery. <laughs> And I had a question, why truffles be so expensive? I don't know. Well, I do. It's because there's a lot of work involved. <laughs> Truffle foragers use dogs and pigs that are trained to recognize the smell of truffles. And when they find them, a truffle farmer sort of treats it like someone who has found a fossil. Huh. Very carefully examining the surroundings, cleaning, and then checking to see if it's ripe. The farmer can't or shouldn't really touch them either because it might make it rot if it isn't ready. Oh, yeah. And they're underground, in case you didn't gather that. Oh. Gather that from what I was <laughs> oh. saying. Oh. <laughs> Truffle aside, you've got portobello, shiitake, cremini, porcini, morels, oyster, button, king trumpet, chanterelles, anoki, cauliflower mushrooms, on and on and on and on. Do you have a favorite type of mushroom, Lauren? Oh, uh, all, all of the above. Maybe, maybe good... Good old, uh, like, baby portobellos. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> which which I guess is sometimes also called crimnies. Yes, I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are over 2,000 known species, but it could be way more. And it's generally agreed upon we haven't found them all. I would say definitely we haven't found them all. Oh, yeah, nah. Yeah. Um, of those, we widely eat only about 25 of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... But one thing I read from Oxford Research Encyclopedia's cited estimates of up to 5 million, 5 million species of fungi on Earth. The most accepted estimate is 1.5 million. Whew. From that, scientists suspect that mushrooms would make up about 160,000 of that number, which means we only know about 10% oh. of them. Wow. And I love this. Using our current discovery rate, it would take about 4,000 years for us to discover them all. That's a lot. Tasty, beautiful, long discovery process. Mm -hmm. Yes. However, important to this show, only about 7,000 of that 160,000 number are believed to be mushrooms that are edible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Important. Which it's still quite a bit, I would say. Yeah. Okay, so while mushrooms do grow in the wild for something that just grows right on poop, um, industrial mushroom farming is a serious technological undertaking. Farmers create these indoor environments that they can control to best benefit their crops in terms of temperature, humidity, light, growth media, and potential pests. Uh, first, uh, such a farmer might try to create a pure fungal culture 
for a particular type of mushroom by germinating spores um, on, on agar in vitro, like in dishes and labs, and then culturing the resulting threads in sterilized medium, and then further developing uh, those, those, that, that, that growing fungus in a, in a growth medium. And that growth medium thing, all right, so creating the best dirt or, or wood for mushrooms to grow in is a perhaps shockingly complex process. As I was reading the research for it, I, it, it's very specific and very industrial, as everything is. But I was just like, oh, mushrooms, they grow on dirt. Yeah. No, the dirt, End of story. The dirt is super specific. Uh, mushroom farmers have always depended on other producers' byproducts to create their growth material, you know, plant and animal waste, uh, composted to perfection. Ooh. Delicious. Uh, for mushrooms that grow naturally on trees or logs, like the shiitake, farmers might prepare actual logs or create synthetic logs, which are basically bags packed with a mixture of sawdust and then supplements like a wheat bran or spent coffee grounds or powdered corn cobs or on and on. Um, different types of mushrooms bear different enzymes for breaking down specific substances. So lots of different composting material could be used depending on the species that you are growing. This media, or these media rather, are often kept in blocks, like crates kind of, with these clear side panels that you can keep track of the growing uh, mycelium. Mm -hmm. And these crates can be stacked into these huge, tall shelving units and then moved into different areas of, of, your, of your indoor mushroom farm at different stages of development. Uh, part of some mushrooms' development involves picking up hormonal cues from nearby fungi. It's sort of like, oh, oh, hey, you're, you're making this type of cell? I'm going to go ahead and make this complementary type of cell, and then they can have beautiful mushroom babies together. Aww. Intermushroom communication. Who knew? Not me. Not me. Uh, so, yeah, it, it can be really important to be able to move these crates. Um, these crates or blocks of media plus mycelium are sometimes called spawn in the industry, by spawn. the way. Spawn. Yeah. Oof. They probably each have really awesome little capes. I don't know enough about the horror movie Spawn to make a joke about it. But the, there's some joke there. Somebody there write it for us, please. Yeah, write, write in and let us know what you got. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the resulting mushrooms that um, spawn from the spawn are typically harvested by hand. E like each mushroom is gently twisted and popped from the mycelium and then packed up. Once they get to you, mushrooms are best stored in a paper bag or loosely wrapped in paper towels that are then loosely wrapped in plastic. It's best not to wash them because they soak up moisture and might get all soggy. Mm -hmm. But if that makes you twitchy, you can scrub them with a damp paper towel or rinse quickly with cold water in a colander. That's what I do. I'm very glad to have read this because I always, like, my mushrooms always get that gross film oh, on the them. Oh, the slimy kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Now I know. Oh, do, do you have a favorite type of mushroom? I didn't ask you in return. I do, and it is shiitake. Mm. There's a place in Georgia that uh, they're usually at every farmer's market. Spartan Ooh. mushrooms. Oh, man. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and mushrooms are cultivated in over 60 countries. In the year 2000, the top producers were China, the U.S., France, Poland, and the Netherlands. You can find mushrooms in places that otherwise don't have much else growing in parts of Africa and Asia. Asian countries make use of a wider variety of mushrooms accepted for eating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In China, they eat up to 700 wild and domesticated varieties. Ooh. Ooh. 
For the French, that number is closer to 200 types. The largest producer of commercial mushrooms, China, produced 28.3 million tons in 2012. That's about 87% of the global market. The industry in China employs 35 million people. Wow. I'm just shaking my head, which is working great on radio, I'm sure. But yes, that's a, that's gigantic. I love it. Yeah. Worldwide, total mushroom production in 2012 was estimated at 31 million tons, valued at over $20 billion U.S. And mushrooms have been getting more popular in the past few decades, with total global production increasing annually at an average of like 13% every year. During this whole time, uh, crops of the everyday button mushroom have decreased as other varieties have become more popular and available. Yeah. One of the reasons they're so popular is... They're used both as a food and a medicinal product. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Mushrooms are high in protein, fiber, and a whole bunch of nutrients while being low in fat, so they're a pretty good food choice in general. They can be a non-animal source of vitamin D2, which makes them a particularly good choice for vegetarians. And like many foods that we talk about, they have a long history of being used as uh, preventatives and remedies for any number of conditions. Various species and extracts of mushrooms are being studied for just all all kinds of potential benefits, including uh, improving the immune system, improving the gut microbiome, inhibiting the growth of cancer, protecting against neurodegeneration. As usual, though, a research is still preliminary and has not produced solid evidence about any of these benefits yet. Eating mushrooms as part of your diet certainly won't hurt and may help, but talk to a doctor before trying extracts and don't buy into claims, especially like expensive claims, that some particular type of mushroom is going to be a magic fix for whatever issue. Magic mushrooms are a separate thing. I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, recently, NPR had a story about um, countries that still use mushrooms medicinally. So if you're interested, you can go go check that out. But in the meantime, we have a lot of history to cover when it comes to mushrooms. But first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Humans have been eating mushrooms for a long time. Probably back to prehistoric <laughs> folks and our hunter-gatherer ancestors. This is speculation, but generally agreed upon speculation. Mm -hmm. The world's oldest human mummy, Otzi the Iceman of Brad Pitt tattoo fame. <laughs> About 5,000 years old, had two types of mushrooms on him. Ooh. The, he was probably using one of them medicinally, and the other was included in a, a sort of highly advanced for the time fire starting kit. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, part of the reason why this is all speculation is that mushrooms don't leave uh, fossil evidence, or, or not fossil, you know, they, they don't leave evidence the way that a lot of other vegetative systems do. Yes. But by the Neolithic times, fungi were used to make mead and other fermented beverages like beer or wine. Mushroom mead. I want to drink that immediately. Mushroom mead. Oh, new cocktail hour. <laughs> yes. Similarly, analysis of yeast residue in drinking and or brewing vessels in ancient Egypt seemed to indicate that whether accidentally or on purpose, 
Fungi were used in beer and winemaking as far back as 3,650 BCE. Some of this evidence was found in the tomb of a queen containing a jar of beer. <laughs> Hieroglyphs from around that time called mushrooms a plant of immortality. Ooh. Because of this, they were largely reserved for royalty. We don't need our, our poor people being immortal along no. with us. No, yeah. <laughs> Other things I read about beliefs pinned to mushrooms labeled them as granting superhuman strength, like Super Mario. Oh, man. Do you think that's where they got it from? I don't think so at all. Probably not, but still. But yeah. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> that they could aid in the search for something lost. Uh, so you eat a mushroom, you're like, aha. Uh, <laughs> and they could lead your lost soul to the godly realm. Oh. Yeah. Up to 7,000 years ago, the ancient Chinese knew about fungi, but it's more likely they used mushrooms, again, for medicinal purposes rather than food. Some evidence indicates that the Chinese started consuming mushrooms in 900 BCE. A lot of mushroom varieties were first cultivated in China. Certainly by the time the Han Dynasty came along, around 26 BCE, the Book of Songs listed several edible mushrooms. In 199 CE, a Japanese emperor visiting China was offered edible mushrooms as a, as a welcoming gift. A Chinese physician wrote that the shiitake was the elixir of life mm. around 1300 to 1600 CE. Dates. <sighs> so hard to pin down. <laughs> Uh, around the same period, you could find written instructions for cultivating mushrooms. Mm -hmm. yeah. The ancient Greeks used them, I suppose alongside garlic, to give strength to their warriors. That's delicious strength. Yes. I know. <laughs> You've got mushrooms and garlic. Perfect. Yeah. However, mushroom consumption was not without its problems. Both Euripides and Hippocrates wrote about accidental mushroom poisoning in the 5th century BCE. And at last, we're talking about a food that ancient Romans liked. What? Is it possible? <laughs> Are we in the olive oil episode and I'm just confused? <laughs> they called mushrooms the food of the gods. Ooh. They even had a designated cooking vessel for them. And the legend goes Agrippa used this vessel to feed poisonous mushrooms to kill her husband, Emperor Claudius, to clear the path for her son, Nero. To become Rome's emperor. Uh -huh. Wow. Horace wrote around 65 BCE that they were expensive delicacies. Hmm. And Romans had integrated truffles into their cuisine by the first century CE. My favorite part about it is that they believed that the answer to where do truffles come from was a lightning strike hitting the ground during thunderstorms. Wow. That's awesome. That's yeah, that's way more metal than I think it actually is, but great. Yeah. <laughs> the oldest cookbook we know of, dating back to 3rd century CE, had a handful of recipes using mushrooms. As for Japan, mushrooms appear in text around 720 CE, referring to much earlier encounters with mushrooms like the one in China mentioned above. Jumpening, jumpening way <laughs> ahead to the 16th century, 250 verses have been composed about mushrooms and mushroom gathering. <laughs> the way these mushrooms were being cultivated, by the way, was on rotting logs. In the case of ancient Rome and Greece, they used slices of poplar tree trunk. This kind of reminds me, 
those mushrooms. Did you do this as a kid that would grow on the logs and you'd stomp on them and the, like that fog would come out? No. Was I doing something I potentially deadly? Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I would do it to create dramatic effect in the stories and I was telling to no one in the woods but myself. I, I grew up in, in Ohio, so so we might have had a different mushroom culture. You didn't have yeah. the smoky mushrooms. Okay. All right. Well, back to history. <laughs> Records show that the Vikings and Siberian shamans used hallucinogenic mushrooms in religious ceremonies circa 1000 CE. And at least 1,000 years ago, records exist that several types of fungi, including truffles, were being eaten in North Africa. When the Spanish arrived to Mexico in the 16th century, they wrote that the Aztecs used a mushroom, the name of which translated to God's flesh. A book by an herbalist in 1552 noted the Mayans used the same mushroom for pain management. Huh. Hmm. Some surviving Mayan manuscripts depicted mushrooms as sacred. That same mushroom, God's flesh, later pops up in Bernardino de Sahagún's 16th century book, General History of the Things in New Spain, as a hallucinogenic employed by the Aztecs. He wrote that it incited lechery. <laughs> Goodness. I know. <laughs> the first reference book dedicated to mushrooms came out around this time as well. And if we're talking straight-up mushroom cultivation, we've got to talk about the French. Oh, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Renaissance-era France enjoyed truffles in their food, sometimes pickled or in sauces, or served with butter. Mm. Hmm. I know you're wondering, and yes, they were seen as an aphrodisiac. <laughs> Question answered. Louis XIV and Napoleon adored them. Louis XIII of France had a habit of running a string through mushrooms and hanging them in his room because he loved them so much. He wanted okay. the smell. Ah, all Yeah, right. at first I was confused, too. Yeah, I was like, Decor? I, I guess they're pretty. Them. Sure, right. No, it was for the smell, and he would just, like, grab one, pop it in his <laughs> mouth, and go. They even had a way of transplanting them by, use, by being super careful when handling and moving them. France exported mushrooms to England beginning with the 18th century, and the English also used horse manure, which I should have mentioned, that's what the French were doing, mm -hmm. um, in their mushroom cultivation. But they went a step further by stacking and composting the manure. Yeah, so similar to what we do today. Oh, yeah. The word mushroom itself probably comes from uh, an old French word, mousseron, from the early 15th century, which may itself have been borrowed from the Latin word musilio, but we don't know what that means, apparently. It might just mean mushroom. It might just be a label for, hey, that thing, mushroom. <laughs> I love it. It could be this word, and we don't know exactly <laughs> what it means. I love this, too. In the 18th century, Voltaire wrote, a dish of mushrooms changed the destiny of Europe. What? Yes. He was referring to the 1740 death of the Holy Roman, Roman Emperor Charles VI. The death cap mushroom was and is thought to be the culprit of his demise. And in the wake of it came the War of Austrian Succession. Half a death cap is toxic enough to kill a grown human. Cooking does not reduce the toxicity and they look like other mushrooms you can eat. So look out. I, do, 
Do not eat mushrooms that you find in the wild unless you are an absolute expert in not dying from eating mushrooms that you have found in the wild. More, more on that later, but... Words to live by. Yes, just wanted to put it in here now in case for some reason you stop listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. going to go outside, <laughs> see if I can find some <laughs> mushrooms. No. Uh, so that's mushrooms in Europe and Asia, but what about mushrooms in the U.S.? Hmm. Well, we'll tell you all about it after one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. 
Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So it took a minute. (laughs) For America to start using mushrooms, like cooking-wise specifically. And actually, at first, they were mostly used in those recipes we talked about in the ketchup episode. Yeah, in condiment-type recipes. Yes. Uh, This could be because a lot of cookbooks available at the time warned that some mushrooms were, quote, very poisonous, but didn't really give any clarification on which ones. That would keep me away from them as well. Yep. However, once France got a handle on mushroom cultivation in the 1870s, America wanted to emulate their cuisine, and we were all about some mushrooms by the 1890s, wonderfully called by some sources a fungus frenzy. They became a bit of a fad. One might join a mushrooming club. (laughs) I would join a mushrooming club. Heck yeah. Info on recognizing mushroom types and how to cook them was published to help Americans understand and utilize this new, to them, ingredient. An entire cookbook devoted to mushroom recipes was published in 1899. The foreword read thusly. The general opinion in this country regarding mushrooms has been that with one or two exceptions, all forms of fungus growth are either poisonous or unwholesome. Unwholesome. But it is very gratifying (laughs) to observe the change that is rapidly taking place in the public mind. Soon, public opinion will acknowledge that it is an established fact that the great majority of the larger funguses, especially of those that grow in fields and other open places, is not only wholesome, but highly nutritious. Highly nutritious. Mm-hmm. As mushrooms were catching on in the U.S., truffle demand was skyrocketing in France. The demand and the price tripled. Up until about this point, mushroom spawn, that, that root-like mycelium system that mushrooms grow from, was collected from wild-growing specimen rather than grown, like, farmed purposefully. But in 1894, two French scientists at the Pasteur Institute developed the first pure culture spawn from spores they germinated in labs and grew in sterile horse manure. Sterile horse manure. I know, right? Mm Mm-hmm. By 1902, a method for creating pure culture spawn had been published— and folks in the industry started working with it to develop lots of different particular strains. In the United States, one of the big players was Lambert's American Spawn Company. It's a great name for a company. It is. And was marketing uh, seven distinct pure strains of button mushrooms by 1907. They would move from Minnesota to Pennsylvania around 1915, uh, which was the established heart of the American mushroom industry. Yes. The 1930 U.S. Census listed 516 mushroom cultivators and 350 were in Chester County, Pennsylvania. 1930 was the same year that the Mushroom Growers Cooperative Association was founded. Pennsylvania State University would later get in the game researching ways for mushroom growers to increase productivity. One of the inventions out of Penn State was mushroom spawn grown with grain instead of manure. 
Chester County is also home to the American Mushroom Institute, the first meeting of which took place on December 4th, 1941. Oh. Bad timing. Mm. But after World War II, they started doing everything they could to promote mushrooms. Ads in TV, radio, newspaper, magazine. Meanwhile, some of these uh, uh, culture spawn companies were having a direct hand in the growing antibiotic industry because of the uh, because of the development of penicillin. These companies already were working with fungus in labs, and so therefore they were able to help the medical industry create all of these new curatives. Great. So cool. Uh, in the 1960s, the production of grain-based spawn was further developed into essentially the process that's used today, and this artificial manure can be more nutritionally complete than natural manure. Uh, it can brought provide better natural structures for the growing fungus, and most importantly, is more easy to scale up industrially than a uh, natural manure. I could see that. Artificial manure, a phrase that I never thought I would be saying out loud. I was so excited. Or even to myself. That's just I had not <laughs> conceived of that phrase. <laughs> well, we're making dreams come true on this podcast. <laughs> From 1981 to 1986, there was a 73.6% increase in mushroom production. What? Yeah. In the 1980s, the New York Times is the first to write about cremini and portobello mushrooms, both of which got a boost from some serious marketing power. Previous to this, the portobello, which wasn't called the portobello and is actually just an adult cremini. Which is an adult White button mushroom. <laughs> yes. We need to make it chart. Um, <laughs> it was a hard sell to the American public and generally ended up getting tossed. Oh, no. Farmers didn't like them either. One guy who grew them almost got fired by his boss just for growing them. So marketers changed the name to Portobello, and it went from zero to hero. No sales to 30 million pounds in 1996. What? Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorite facts of the episode. No one is sure where the name comes from, but the popular story is some ads person made it up by coming up by combining the words for beautiful and door, the Italian words, or depending on the spelling, beautiful port. But the portobello mushroom has no agreed upon spelling. What? Yeah. It's mushroom chaos. It is. <laughs> I, I was staring at my computer furiously as if it could give me answers. You're telling me if I was in a spelling bee? There are multiple answers. Oh, I think there's four. There's oh, my four goodness. four different spellings that people use. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Get, get, get your stuff together. Portobello. Portobello. See, you said uh, and I said oh. I, my brain cannot grapple with this. It's going to be okay. All right. Okay. I'm over it. Um, are you? No, but <laughs> I'll put on a brave face. Okay. All right. Um, in, in, in 1990, legislation was submitted to Congress in the United States to create better marketing for, for the increasingly valuable mushroom industry. The Mushroom Promotion Research and Consumer Information Act. That is quite the title. This act eventually spawned, oh, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Mushroom Council, an organization that pulls funds from mushroom producers and uses those funds to promote mushrooms generically. And if I may quote from their website, because I'm kind of delighted by marketing uh, verbiage, 
Many different venues are used to promote fresh mushrooms to consumers, such as working with professional chefs in developing and promoting new recipes, working with produce department managers to maintain the highest quality mushroom product for customers, and sending out thousands of brochures each year to customers hungry for new mushroom ideas. Thanks to the Mushroom Council, mushrooms have their own month to be honored and eaten. September is National Mushroom Month. National Mushroom Month. National Mushroom Month. Yeah, Mushroom Mush. (laughs) All of that. One of their current promotions is called The Blend. Ooh. Uh, It encourages food service industry folks to try blending ground meat with ground mushrooms for products like tacos and meatballs to save money and calories. Oh, I see. And in the 2000s, a research out of Penn State demonstrated that growers can increase one form of uh, vitamin D, that vitamin D2, in their mushrooms by subjecting the growing fungus to bursts of UV radiation, thus making their product such a good choice for vegetarians who would otherwise miss out on this nutrient through their diet. It's really only found in meat other than mushrooms that have been exposed to UV radiation. Um, And it's different from uh, vitamin D3, which is the one that our bodies produce from sunlight exposure to the skin. So, yeah. I imagine... The Mushroom Council is like a bunch of toads from Mario <laughs> sitting around this round table and talking about whether, like, what type of mushroom they need to promote next. Yeah. Well, there, there, there are there are nine council members. I can't. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I think we've stumbled onto something here, Lauren. I... Does anyone have any pictures of these council members? Hmm. Hmm. Well... We'll put a pin to come back to that later. For now, let's talk about the environment. Yeah, one of the cool things about mushroom farming is that it can be a really great way to put agricultural waste to use instead of having to dump it or burn it. I mean, of course, mushrooms do leave some waste themselves. They don't, like, completely destroy anything that you put in their path. That's a different horror movie entirely, yeah. Um... And industry researchers recently coined the term mycorestoration, meaning uh, uh, using mushrooms' greater fungal structures to help restore damaged environments by filtering toxic waste and microorganisms from the soil or the air, by controlling insect populations, or by just creating more nutrients for plant life. Ah. Well, now you might be thinking, these mushroom things sound pretty cool. Maybe I'll... Let's go. let's go out. Let's go out and get some right now. Let's go full. From the ground. Hold up a minute. <laughs> so, you might have heard a thing or two recently about mushroom foraging. I know it has come up several times around the office here when we were discussing videos we could do for food stuff. Apparently, there's a big group in Atlanta that oh, does it. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. And th- it's this thing where people, sometimes in groups or as part of mushroom clubs, uh, go out and look for edible mushrooms in cities, in the woods, in the backyard, wherever. Um, I feel like it's gotten pretty popular over the past couple of years. Yeah. But this is not something you should just pick up. Um, you need to be informed about the mushrooms in your area. Really informed. Yes. Uh, if this is something you're interested in, totally pursue it. Uh, see if there's a club or a mycologist in your area, but do not do this just looking at your phone like, oh, this looks like this mushroom here. I think I can eat it. No, 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 no. Because some some things that look like little harmless white button mushrooms will kill you. Yes. So don't do that. It is dangerous. Um, they, there are several, when I was looking into this, there are several that look like kinds that you can't eat that yeah. you cannot eat. Um, 
<laughs> so, I mean, if you're just looking at picking them up, I don't know. I don't if know why you you're just doing wanna, that. If you just want to find them, if you just want to like poke them, yeah, then that's fine. But go if you're for planning it. on eating them, yeah, take precaution. Uh, because if you're asking yourself if there's a way to tell if a mushroom is poisonous, no, nah. nope. Unless you're 100% beyond a shadow of a shadow of a doubt, know what you're doing. Don't eat a strange mushroom. Further, yeah, a lot of anecdotal rules about the mushrooms you can and cannot eat are not true. So, yeah, no. Uh, I love this. I don't know if it's true, but um, according to some things I read on the internet, there's an adage out of um, the Czech Republic saying that goes, every mushroom is edible, but some only once. <laughs> Sounds like something my dad would say. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed doing it and revisiting it and very much are excited about delving into these these mushroom news stories. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, but in the meanwhile, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can. Yes. And send us any any mushroom news stories you think we should cover <laughs> or anything in that realm. Uh, yeah. You, <laughs> yes. You can email us. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Oh, we're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. 
Listen to Woke F Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.